And with that, welcome everybody back to the Three and Out podcast. We've officially reached double digits here in season two. We are on episode 10. And what a wild last couple of days it has been since the recording of this episode. My goodness, Brett Shavs, Ben Pope, Mike Cicchetti, always along for the ride. And we got a lot to talk about here, fellas, besides the insane week that we had this past Sunday and Thursday and Monday. Let's start off with literally what just happened about about an hour and a half or so ago before the start of this recording here. Robert Quinn, the star defensive end for the Chicago Bears, has officially been dealt to the Philadelphia Eagles. The official return, according to this insiders, was a fourth-round pick going back to Chicago, so that way they get some salary cap removed, as well as, excuse me, a compensation in draft capital. Robert Quinn adds a very poised sort of offering to this Philadelphia defensive front. They now have him. They have Derek Barnett. They have Fletcher Cox. They've got a whole bunch of guys now to help with depth and to rebuild this pass rush in Philadelphia. As a whole, we take a look at this. You have to think, does this push Philly to that next level? And my question to you guys is, does this trade for Robert Quinn potentially elevate Philadelphia to maybe a Chiefs or potentially a Bills-type level in the NFL? Let's start with Bope. Well, I would say, Brett, I don't believe they are on the same level as the Chiefs and the Bills, mainly because of twofold. One reason is they just don't have the same playoff experience that the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills do. I think that's an asset that not only the coaching staff has in both Kansas City with Andy Reid and Sean McDermott in Buffalo, they both have been on multiple playoff runs uh, with their respective teams, whereas Nick Sirianni has not been able to do so with Philadelphia so far. So that's just – they've only had one trip to the playoffs and it was a one out against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. So that does come into effect. But also the second thing here with Philly, and I know they're coming off a bye week, so only have six weeks to judge them on. But uh, their second half offense has been something that has probably been the most suspect about them all season. Uh, they really lacked any firepower in the second half uh, during their games on the offensive side of the ball. The defense, no question, they're going to be playing very well. You mentioned Robert Quinn's going to be added to Fletcher Cox. Uh, Derek Barnett's on IR. He's been out since the beginning of week one, but he's still got a bunch of different names over there that have been super strong. The secondary, led by Darius Slay and James Bradbury, have been phenomenal. But the offense has really fallen off, and it seems like after halftime, defenses are figuring out how to defend Jalen Hurts in that offense. So I do have concerns there, but I think I'm just giving – the flowers that the Chiefs and the Bills do uh, do deserve, I should say. Um, but Philly is probably the class of the NFC, probably the third best team in the NFL right now. But I would still say they are not on the same tier as Buffalo and Kansas City. I 100% agree with Ben. For the exact same points he made, it's just that the Chiefs and the Bills, they just have the playoff experience, whereas Philly really doesn't. They're kind of a new, younger team, especially with Jalen Hurts. And that defense, I don't really have a problem with. I love their defense. They're top five defensively, the top five offensively. 
But I think if one of the sides was to falter, it would be the offensive side. I think that defense is strong enough to hold up. And all three of these teams could go on the same pace they're at, and I still really wouldn't put them. If Philly ends up one, two losses on the year, I still really can put them over and Kansas City still. Yeah, I mean, like you guys both mentioned, you take a look at both Kansas City and Buffalo and the things that stand out, especially with you both mentioned is the playoff experience, how deep both of these two teams have gone into playoff runs. Phillies played one game under Nick Sirianni against Tampa Bay and got absolutely smacked. Granted, didn't have as much of a roster in terms of depth last year as they do now, but it's certainly going to be interesting to see how things play out. The back half of their schedule definitely could give them some challenges, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Moving forward, sticking in the NFC, one of the big teams that I guess surprised people this past Sunday in more of a negative manner was the San Francisco 49ers lost in a pretty significant loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. They allowed just about, I believe, it was 40 points for Kansas City um, on Sunday in Santa Clara. And the 49ers had a little bit of a different look offense, especially considering they acquired Christian McCaffrey from the Carolina Panthers, got him for a second, third, and fourth this year and a fifth-round pick in 2024. So four total picks San Francisco gave up for McCaffrey. You have to imagine that McCaffrey was on a limited workload considering he's still new to the offense in the playbook and trying to get acclimated to Kyle Shanahan's workload. But despite the loss Sunday, let's take a look at the entire scheme as a glimpse right now. If we look at the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey now and taking out sort of the um, three down back situation with Jeff Wilson and Elijah Mitchell. Does this McCaffrey deal solidify San Fran as the second best team in the NFC behind Philadelphia? No, I would say they have a case. I wouldn't say they're solidified though. They just have too many injuries. And although a guy of Christian McCaffrey's caliber in the offense can definitely boost your offense. He's still a running back, and the positional value is very low. Um, now, I understand what he can do, but I just think the 49ers are too injured right now. I mean, Trent Williams is out. Manuel Mosley is out. Aziz Al-Shair is out. they got a few other key guys out. And I don't think it really solidifies them. Like, the Vikings, you could throw in there. Um even the Packers or Bucks. I know that's weird to say, but they get hot. Dallas right there. The Giants right there. I don't think there's a clear-cut number two in the NFC. Um, obviously, Philly is on a tier of their own. And then past them, I think it's really all subjective. It's basically just all who you would prefer, what, you know, uh, what things you value more. Yeah, I think of as of right now, um, I would have the Cowboys – as the second best team in the NFC, I think with the return of Dak, I know that he didn't look spectacular against the Lions, but uh, we've seen from how the Cowboys have been able to play probably against a little bit subpar competition to what they would be uh, facing in the playoffs. But their defense has looked absolutely dominant. They've been a run-heavy offense with a flash of uh, receiving help with CD Lamb, Dallas Goddard, or excuse me, uh, Dalton Schultz. Um, I was rolling with the Dallas thing. Um, but that offense has looked really good under Cooper Rush. 
Obviously, Dak is a big improvement. Looked fine in his first game back, but I think we're going to see much improvement. And if he's able to reclaim any of the ability that we believe he has, that team's easily going to be the second best team in the league. I understand uh, San Francisco has a ton of playmakers all over the place, but at the same time, I think quarterback, there's such a big difference between Jimmy Garoppolo and Dak Prescott, surprisingly, just because Jimmy G has, we, we talked about this a little bit last week um, when we were talking about the AFC style uh, quarterbacks that can lose you a game. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely a quarterback that can lose you a game. He's known as a game manager, manager one of the best, and the most talented game managers. He's been losing the Niners games recently, and if he is continuing to do that, I can't see the Niners as anything more than potential division winner, maybe win one game in the playoffs, but that would be it. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that stood out for me was the Cowboys' defense, right? And that was what pushes them potentially into this second spot. We looked at a statistic earlier this morning. Pro Football Focus put it out. Trevon Diggs alone is, I believe, tied if not separated by one in terms of total passes defended and coverage snaps with Sauce Gardner, the top, the pretty much presumed top corner in the league right now. So those two are duking it out. The secondary has been so much better for Dallas, and they seem to be much more well-rounded in terms of coaching. So I think they sort of deserve that second spot. But I think you're exactly right, Ben. I think the hindering point here for San Francisco is how dynamic they can be with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. You mentioned it perfectly. He's losing them games right now. They can't stick with high-powered offenses, point being Kansas City last week. And if they can't do so, especially in a deep playoff run, they're not going to be able to get anything accomplished. So I think McCaffrey adds a more dynamic element, but at the end of the day, it comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo. And speaking of Jimmy Garoppolo and sort of quarterbacks on the low right now, the Los Angeles Chargers, they have had a lot of failure recently. Most the last game they played was against the Seattle Seahawks getting touted at SoFi Stadium. It was a very bad look for Brandon Staley and his Chargers offense. And more importantly, Justin Herbert, who struggled that game. He said some really bad struggles recently, trying to find his sort of groove in the last weeks, four through seven here. And just looking at the recency um, comments on Twitter and on social media, a lot of people are giving Justin Herbert a lot of flock for his performance recently with the Chargers and how they haven't been able to acclimate to that high-powered offense that everyone anticipated this season. With Justin Herbert, with everything that's gone on with the defense, losing J.C. Jackson, with the coaching decisions Brandon Staley has made recently, do we think it's officially time to call the L.A. Chargers maybe frauds in the NFL right now based on our expectations in the preseason? Ben? I can't go that far yet with the Chargers. They've been one of the more disappointing teams, at least for me thus far, um, despite their close to 500 record in three and four. But um, just some of the games that they have lost have been really tough. Uh, They just recently now lost J.C. Jackson for the whole year, which he has not been playing up to his contract thus far. It's only the first of five years, so obviously it's a little bit, too much to read into just seven games, but still he is 
not look good. He got benched on just a week ago. So that was kind of a statement there. Um, Justin Herbert's been dealing with a rib injury. And I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about this since it happened back in uh, week two against the Chiefs. It's still lingering. He's been able to play through it, but you can tell that something's off with Justin Herbert and that the offense just has not been running as well with Herbert, uh, not fully 100%. But also it comes down to coaching. Like Brandon Staley has been really pushing and the offensive team as well with the Charters, the coaching staff, <clears throat> have really been pushing the short game, which when you've got a team with Joshua Palmer and Mike Williams and you had Jalen Guyton before he tore his ACL, you can throw the ball deep downfield. And that's something that the Charters have really hesitated to do basically all season, even going back to a little bit last season. You can just see it in their previous two games. Running back also has 12, cat, or excuse me, 12 catches and 10 catches in the last two games, respectively. 22 catches, nothing's going longer than like 10 yards. It's all short games work. So there's just something going off with the offense. The defense has been disappointing as well. Um, they've lost Joey Bosa for a little bit of time. Now they're going to be losing J.C. Jackson. Um, it's just been – Combination of injuries with a little bit of bad coaching. I'm I'm not going to call a Chargers frauds, though, because as long as they've got guys like Cleo Mack healthy, Justin Herbert healthy, like you got elite stars all over the field, you can at least make a little bit of run in an AFC where you got like really strong top dogs in the Chiefs and the Bills, teams that are probably going to lock up their division sooner rather than later with the Titans uh, having already swept the Colts and beaten the Jags. Whoever wins the AFC North, maybe another team there gets in. There's a couple playoff spots still up for grabs in there. So I wouldn't call the Chargers frauds. I think it's too early in the season to say that, even though we're nearly halfway there. Excuse me. The Chargers are not frauds. They have way too many injuries on their team for me to even consider saying that. Uh, Rashawn Slater is out for the year. He's their best offensive player. Offensive line, uh, um, offensive lineman. Jeez. Um, Keenan Allen missed the first six, seven games. Now Michael Mike Williams is going to be out for like a month. Um, defensively, you have Joey Bosa, who's missed a good majority of the year. J.C. Jackson out for the year. I can't really judge them at this point. Those are all key guys. These are all Pro Bowl, all Pro caliber guys for them. And it's just unfortunate that it has to be this way but um now when it comes to coaching i do think they have been very conservative with um herbert despite him having the injury t i don't know they just look dull offensively and like ben mentioned a guy like justin herbert there's no reason the offense should be looking this dull so um there might be a coaching change there sooner than later I mean, Brandon Staley is 13 and 11, something like that. He's very close to 500 as the head coach. And with the team they have, um, even last year, you would expect that to be better. But I don't know. I can't call them frauds. Um, at full health, three and four, they're frauds. But the injury is just, it's hard for me to say that. 
calling frauds because you had them last in the division. Beginning no, of the year. I'm not calling them frauds. I think there's definitely a lot of injuries playing into this, uh, excuse me, uh, situation here with the Chargers. When we talk about the offense and how conservative they've been playing with good talent and potentially a lot of potential there, it reminds me so much, and you guys are going to hate me on this, reminds me of the poor Steelers, how the Steelers play offensively. Small ball, conservative, sticking down low, up the middle with tight ends. And this, and that's it's bad football. It's a good thing you mentioned that. That's sad because that was fifty year old Big Ben. Well, there's the mention. That is that what you were referring to? Brought up the Steelers, or were you referring to this season? I'm referring to this season specifically with Pickett and Trubisky. Either way, okay. Well, that's a rookie quarterback and Mitch Trubisky. Like, how else are you going to run the offense? They got Justin. They have Justin Herbert, who probably has the. I don't know, probably second or third best deep arm in the league. Like Josh Allen is definitely one. Herbert's right up there. He might be mm. two. I get that. And I listen, I'm not disagreeing. All I'm saying is when it comes to the Steelers, they very much do not like to expand the playbook. They keep it short and sweet, five yards or under. I feel like with the Chargers, especially, it's been like that recently where Herbert hasn't really been able to expand his playbook. I know he's injured, but I'm just saying there's a there's a little bit of a comparison there, and it's a little bit worrisome if, it, if the trend continues in L.A. It is worrisome. Speaking of L.A. and speaking of what happened this weekend, let's talk about the team who beat them this past Sunday, the Seattle Seahawks. What an impressive day, not only out of Geno Smith and Pete Carroll, but out of Kenneth Walker. Over 100 rushing yards on the ground. Had a great game in L.A. You have to imagine that this kid is going to be the starter for full-time during the rest of the season. You're going to see DJ Dallas's workload get smaller and smaller and smaller. But, man, what a day for the Seattle Seahawks. A statement win this year. Do we see the Seahawks as potentially a playoff team? Can we buy into the Seahawks stock right now? Man brings up DJ Dallas like it's Travis Homer dog. My goodness. Uh, I'm actually bought in. Um, I believe that the Seahawks actually can make a playoff run. And I only say this because their offense has been unbelievable, to be honest with you. They're top 10 rushing yards and receiving yards on the season. So they've been top 10 in both passing and running. They have looked really good on offense. I think that. Jim Smith is obviously overperforming, but you cannot ignore that he is having a Pro Bowl caliber starts with season. Uh, he's looked phenomenal for a team that's usually pretty conservative with uh, a great quarterback or formerly great quarterback with Russell Wilson. Uh, Pete Carroll has left the playbook pretty much wide open. I know that Rashad Penny is out for the year, so you don't want to rely fully on a rookie Kenneth Walker. So passing games obviously pretty open, but. And he only got hurt, hurt a couple weeks ago, and they've honestly had a really balanced approach on offense. They haven't played too many amazing defenses, like probably the best defense that they played yeah, check in week two against the San Francisco 49ers. But honestly, like looking at the rest of Seattle's schedule, it's nothing like really difficult, especially with teams like Tampa Bay and the Rams 
uh, that they have on their schedule. They have not looked great all season. So I have to buy in at least a little bit, give them a chance, especially when they look so great. I will have to mention that uh, their defense is one of the worst in the league. They're giving up the most rushing yards in the league or tied for first in allowing the most rushing yards in the league. So it's pretty difficult to sustain um, any type of uh, success with that type of defense and the pass defense isn't too much better. But you've had playmakers on the other side of the ball. You guys, you've got guys like Tariq Woolen. Um, you have to see if DK Metcalf on offensive side, he's able to stay healthy. He sustained a knee injury last week. We'll see if he plays this Sunday. But I have to at least give C- Seattle some credit. We were um, hesitating to give teams like the Giants and the Jets credit for so long. And now they are nearly halfway into the season with five and two and six and one records. So I've got to give it to Seattle here, who with a couple quick changes in their games against the Falcons and the Saints, very well could be six and one as well. Yeah, you got to give credit to Seattle, Geno Smith, that whole team, Pete Carroll, because we went into the year thinking they would have been one of the worst teams in the league with, what, two, two to five wins on the season, and they already have what, four wins are they at? Especially if Drew Locke was starting. Um, now we know why they made the decision to start Gino. He's been incredible. And shout out their draft class as well. They have been incredible. Two of their starting tackles were drafted this year, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant, both playmakers in the secondary. Um, and then Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker was right up there with Brees Hall when it came to the number one running back in the draft. Some people had Kenneth over. Some people had Kenny over Brees Hall. Um, me, I had him too, but he's just a guy that, you know, it's, you know what you have in him, right? 260 plus yards the past two weeks, three touchdowns. He's been incredible. Um, and shout out Gino. Um, it's tough for me to buy in because it's so weird to see. I don't know. I'm cautiously optim- optimistic about them though. I am. I like the Seahawks team and shout out. You got to credit to um, B. Carroll, Russell Wilson with that man's prime. It's good to see. Uh, it's good to see Geno Smith bring it out. Um, well, you ever heard of uh, the unmute button, Brett? Jeez. He's just so in awe of his third best team being better than both his second. <laughs> And first favorite teams. That is true. That is true. I mean, really. Who would have have Taking a look at the third team's schedule, um, coming up, they've got a few interesting matchups. They've got the Giants, the Cardinals, and the Buccaneers. Those are the most recent uh, coming up on the schedule, which if you take a look at it, honestly, they could come away with two, if not all three. Um, against these teams, Tampa Bay and Arizona have been playing very much subpar and still cautiously optimistic about the Giants, um, despite their incredible 6-1 and one start to the season. But, yeah, the Seahawks have looked phenomenal. And I think this is a lot of a lot of credit that's due to the coaching staff and the way they've been able to set up Geno Smith. And then the execution on the offenses part. Mike mentioned both rookie tackles, um, getting some good nods to begin with as well in the defensive part. But, again... A lot of credit due to Seattle. I am buying in. I think there's a legit shot to make the playoffs. 
especially considering how horrible the Bucs and Packers have been playing recently. But, yeah, this is it for Seattle. They want to prove them wrong. Here it is. And speaking of proving them wrong, we're moving on to the AFC back to the north. Oh, big Joe Burr. Joe Burr had a breakout game for 2022. Back to his late season form for last year. Had 400. That's right. 481 yards passing. 38, 34 for 42 and three tutties. Two to Jamar Chase, one to Tyler Boyd. Wow. Joe Burrow went off against this Atlanta defense that was very much hurting. And he is asserting himself again as one of the prime quarterbacks in the NFL. Everybody was kind of sleeping on him in the coming weeks because of the struggles Cincinnati had. But they are back and they are rolling. Do we consider Joe Burrow back in the MVP conversation after this week's win? I think you have to. I think you have to. He's top five in completion percentage, passing yards, touchdowns. Um, I'd like to see his QBR get up there, but I think that's a little tainted with the first three weeks. Um, but no, he's been he's been really, really good the past few weeks. I mean, you talk about when you think MVP, you think of obviously Mahomes and Allen, and then people still throw Jalen Hurts in there. I think Burrow's right there. I, I'd put Burrow three, honestly. I think Burrow's right up there with them. Um, he's been really good coming on the past few weeks, and if he keeps on this pace, he's going to make a real solid case for himself. Ben? What am I doing here? Am I John Cena? You are. No, you can see me. I'm here on screen. No, I'm unfazed. I'm unfazed because I had Joe Burrow winning the MVP at the beginning of the year, and guess what? He's back. Um, Since his week one disaster against the Steelers. He is approximately one, count them, one turnover in the past six weeks. I almost said six. Um, what was that? Uh, he is third in completion percentage behind the un- uncomparable Geno Smith and Matthew Stafford. He's right up there in passing touchdown. He's third behind Mahomes and Allen. He's pretty much third in most categories behind Mahomes and Allen. And- Hey, man, Mahomes and Allen are having phenomenal years. I think Mike might have given him a little bit too much credit. He's probably fourth in my MVP race behind Mahomes, Allen, and behind Saquon Barkley. Um, But uh, Joe Burrow is playing phenomenal. He has looked pretty great since the second half of that Cowboys game where he really struggled in that first half, pretty much did nothing on offense. He's looked phenomenal this week. it was against the defense without AJ Charles, so I literally buy like zero stock into it. But it was pretty cute that he took the Falcons to only a two-score victory. Um, but yeah, Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He is slowly climbing that echelon. He's probably flip-flopping um, with Russell Wilson. Uh, I I hate keep bringing up Ross, but he's probably climbing up uh, the list of my top five quarterbacks, probably in into the top five, but. Yeah, Joe is Joe Cole right now. He's playing phenomenal. He is right outside my top three in MVP candidates, and he's definitely deserving of a vote as of now. Yeah, I think at this point you kind of have to consider him in the MVP conversation. He was there to begin with just because of the cool start. I think a lot of people took him out, but I, he's 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 been there the entire time, and I think he's definitely 
in terms of MVPs for myself, top five, if not top three, um, between obviously Mahomes, Allen, Saquon Barkley, and my boy Jalen Hurts, he's going to come back this week. We're going to see him. But aside that point, I think Joe Burrow is going to have, honestly, nothing but up from here. I think this game just goes to show that the Cincinnati offense didn't go anywhere, just some struggles um, in terms of sort of finding a groove in the offense and sort of seeing where Jamar Chase and T. Higgins fit in with Tyler Boyd. Um, but they figured it out. They figured it out this Sunday, and I have full confidence in Joe Burrow going forward. He's in the MVP ballot for me. And with that, we wrap up that discussion. Moving on, we have two more points, one of which is another quarterback that a lot of flock this last week. You feel bad for him slightly. That's Matt Ryan for the Indianapolis Colts. Matt Ryan, there's a lot of controversy on Twitter when this initially came out. He has officially been benched by head coach Frank Reich in the Colts for backup quarterback Sam Ehlinger. He jumped Nick Foles in the backup quarterback race. He is now the starter presumed for the rest of the season. There was rumors that Matt Ryan was dealing with a shoulder injury, and that's the reason why this switch happened. But it came out recently that Frank Reich uh, just flat out benched him and will ride with Sam Ehlinger for the rest of the season. So a lot of money that went to Matt Ryan in the past off seasons for now going to waste as you ride him on the bench and sort of go back to the QB carousel again. This is once again, another starting QB to Frank Reich's mix. I believe that's four now under his reign in the last three years he has rode with. What are our initial thoughts on this switcheroo for the Colts QB run? And does this either benefit or hurt their chances in the AFC South? My initial thoughts are, is this worse than the Carson Wentz move? <laughs> I think it is. At least Carson Wentz didn't get benched. Like, are you kidding, Matt Ryan? We all thought you were like a decent upgrade over Carson Wentz. Yeah. Like, Come on, doggy. And you're getting benched for a six-rounder? Like, they already said it's Sam Ellinger's the starter for the rest of the season. No Nick Foles, no Matt Ryan. It's Sam Ellinger. And, like, this is a quality football team. I know that Jonathan Taylor's missed time. I keep forgetting what he changed his name. Shaquille, Shaquille, Shaquille. Shaquille Leonard. Shaquille, Shaquille. Shaquilla, Shaquilla. Oh, um, my <laughs> He's missed some time, but man, this is a talented roster. Like mm. I know they're lacking a few receivers, but that's pretty much it. Like they're one of the best top to bottom rosters in the league. And now you're just going to have to ride out with a six round quarterback that you've seen nothing out of. And it's a better shot than Matt Ryan. Like I know he tore up Jacksonville a couple weeks ago, but like Jacksonville's just been on a steady decline. They have looked bad for the past month for no reason after giving up some hope doggy p what happened doggy um but yeah i i he, this there's nowhere else to go like they can't they can't do anything maybe guess go back to the trade market in the offseason try and find another quarterback give old andrew luck a call like see what he can do but this is just bad luck by the front office not on frank reich because i don't think this is his, his fault at all but it's just a bad look by the front office. Another swing and a miss on a quarterback. 
honestly, when is it time the Colts just say, let's just dra- fall in love with a guy and draft him and grow him? I mean, really? <laughs> because it's been years. I mean, they went through Phillip Rivers, uh, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, uh, and this was all after Andrew Luck announced his retirement. It's just like this is like a Super Bowl caliber team with the right quarterback. Um, like you throw um, an Andrew Luck, right, on the team last year or the year before, that's a, that's a really strong team in the AFC. And they still have just about the same team. But the quarterback play is just, oh, oh it's so sad to see. It's so sad to see. Um, real quick, jumping over, what do you all think about the um, Patriots uh, quarterback situation? There's been a few QB situations. Um, I'll jump on this quick. Um, I think the Patriots are a bunch of idiots um, for what's going on right now. Um, is this confuses me a lot, and I don't understand it. To be quite frank, um, this is nearly identical to Dallas's situation through the last four weeks with Cooper Rush. Had a lot of success, led the team to a positive record, probably second best in the NFC. And Dak's back healthy. What do they do? As they should. Dak Prescott has the reins again. Mm-hmm. What happens now with the Patriots? Bailey Zappi comes in a few weeks. Phenomenal success. Mac Jones comes back healthy. What does Bill Belichick decide to do? Split time? Split time? Oh, my God. You cannot be more foolish. With your first-round pick, you spent all that time and energy developing Mac Jones – and now you're going to make him feel like a piece of dirt playing a fourth-round pick this year that had a few good games as your starting quarterback in replace of an injury. This just bothers me so much, and the lack of confidence that Belichick has shown in Mac Jones is quite frankly unacceptable. Um, I feel all, all four for Mac Jones here. He deserves a starting spot despite coming back and maybe looking a little slow. It's going to happen with a quarterback that's injured, but. Tough times, tough times in Foxborough. So, yeah, it, it's it's such a weird situation because Mac Jones went down week what week three against Baltimore, yep. um, and then Zappy came in and my God, the whole fan base was obsessed with him. Mac Jones comes back and doesn't even play out the first half. I thought Belichick would at least let him play out the first half. Um, I mean, Grant, he didn't look good, but it was his first game back from injury. You got to cut him some slack. The whole Patriots team looked awful against Chicago. Chicago looked insane. The shot on Nikhil Harry, uh, first reception on the year against his former team, our revenge game, 14 yards. Anyways, yeah, it's just, it's just so weird, um, to see because you could argue that I don't think there's really an argument though. Zappy has had the height of Zappy has been better than the height of. Mac Jones this season, but still, you got to start. You got to start Mac Jones. Um, you have a whole his whole rookie year sample size compared to Bailey Zappi's what three three games three four games. I mean, they announced Mac is starter though, so we will see how he does. And I think he should just be the starter moving forward. See what happens. I mean, I don't think 
either of these guys are the real long-term answer, if I'm being honest. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. You don't think Mac Jones is the long-term answer for the Patriots at quarterback? I don't. I don't. Can you say why? Yeah, I, I just think, I don't know. It just looks like he limits the offense. And I expected. What's limiting the offense is the coaching and the scheme. There's, there's just no. Well, no... this is, well, this is another tough thing because his rookie year and this year they look night and day, because Matt Patricia is calling plays, not in favor of Mac Jones. Because even this last game when Zappi came in, he gave Zappi all the, you know, favorable play calls. Um. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I guess ride it out, see what happens, but I'm I not... mean, okay. All I'll say is this kid literally won the rookie of the year last year. Very solid. Had Josh McDaniels as his offensive coordinator, who we all know is not, not a great head coach, but a very good offensive coordinator. He got a good scheme with him. He had a really good run game. Damian Harris, Rush for a billion touchdowns from Andre Stevenson. Was a great pass catching back. Great change of pace back. Got great support there. Phenomenal mm-hmm. deep defense. And he had that Buffalo game. Everyone thinks about the Buffalo game. Oh, Bill Belichick doesn't have confidence in Mac Jones as a passer. Well, if you have complaints about what Bill Belichick did and the offensive coordinators did to limit Mac Jones, maybe the issue isn't Mac Jones. It is... Bill Belichick and the coaching staff, because Mac Jones, as far as I'm aware, he's not going anywhere in the next three to four years. At the very least, he deserves all the rain that a Daniel Jones, a Baker Mayfield, all those mugs he's got, because Mac Jones is better, clearly, than any of those guys. Doesn't have the floor, doesn't have the ceiling as those guys, but Mm -hmm. this dude deserves to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. With what happened on Monday against the Bears, honestly, I don't give I don't give a you know what about it. I think that's fine. Mac Jones coming back. If you want to see a little bit of Zappy and see a little bit of Mac Jones going into this game, you're playing against the Bears. Did you really think? Did many people really think that the Patriots were going to lose this game? Probably not. So you might as well just try something and see. Okay, let's see the difference between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappy playing in this game against the Bears. Mac Jones isn't fully healthy. Or maybe he is fully healthy, and you just want to see a little bit out of Zappy. Like they're both young quarterbacks, you obviously want to see a little bit of something. I'm not agreeing with it, but I'm like not hating against it. Like I don't know. I think I think it's just a weird situation, and I I think finally people are realizing that like Belichick, phenomenal coach, he's great resume and everything. You got to put some of the blame on him and. I think people are finally doing after this decision, yes. which like there's no QB controversy. Mac Jones is a quarterback in New England. Bailey Zappi is fine. He's a going to be a fine backup or whatever. You got to figure out what Bill Belichick and this coaching staff are doing because they're going from shutting out the Lions, making them look like a disgrace, looking like they're in the AAA of the NFL to losing against the Bears and Justin Fields, who doesn't throw more than 150 passing yards in a game. 
And Belichick in the coaching staff is where the whole issue stems from. That's where it's Yep. You can't say then that like Mac Jones won't be the starter here just because Bill Belichick's going to stick around. He's not going to be sticking around for that much longer, I don't think. Well, this is all the unknowns. Like as long as that coaching staff is in, Belichick is a very stubborn coach and he's going to bring his guys in. Um, and I think, I don't know. I don't know. You, you have a proven commodity, though, in Mac Jones. You've already seen what he can do. You've already seen what he can do. He can be I, a very solid quarterback. He can beat you, win you games against playoff teams. Like, and there was an interesting stat. I saw this on some show. I honestly don't remember. Since that Buffalo game, Mac Jones has been awful. He has been awful. It led 10, 10 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. Includes the game against Buffalo in the playoffs. Since Belichick did that game to him, only four passing attempts, even below average quarterback. So I know Mac hasn't been playing great, but you got to give him support. And right now, the New England coaching staff is not doing that. So either you get rid of Mac, and you try the same thing again, kind of what Indy's doing, or you finally say, okay, Bill, here's your tenure. You can be a GM or something. Yeah, this this situation is not going anywhere, and I think, I think at this point, Ben said it perfectly. You got to put some blame on Belichick at this point in the situation. I I put, I put all the blame on him. Yeah, I put a good majority of the blame on that him and the coaching staff. Like Ben said, you see what Mac Jones did in his rookie year, right? He was the clear um, best rookie quarterback, and he hires Matt Patricia to be the offensive play caller. Hire an offensive guy. You hire Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Hire Bill O'Brien would have been perfect. I would have loved that for the Patriots, but I don't know. Before we before we close up this topic, the, the one thing I will say is I think Bill Belichick's biggest weakness, especially in the last five years, has been just hiring coaching staff that he's comfortable with and that he's had experience with in the past. I think we've seen a lot of fear from New England, especially for bringing in new coaching staff with new ideas, trying to mess up Belichick's scheme and potentially mm-hmm. ruining what the Patriots have built before. So hiring guys that are comfortable, well, yeah, like you're going to have the same experience and like mindset in the building, but at the same time, it's going to hinder your overall ceiling of your franchise. Yep. We're seeing it right now with Judge and Patricia. Mm-hmm. Patricia was one of the worst offensive play callers in football with Detroit. The worst. It was so bad. I've never seen Matt Stafford play that low in my entire life. And Joe Judge, same thing. No good with Daniel Jones. Brian Dable comes in through seven weeks. He's won six out of his last seven. There's got to be some sort of explanation there. And I think you got to blame it on Belichick. I think at this point, there's no excuse for the performance the Patriots have had. Agreed. All right, so that wraps up our discussion portion here on the 3 and Out podcast. A lot of Patriots talk, a lot of stuff going on, and we're starting to reach the climax point of the season where controversies are going to be key in where this season unfolds. With that, we move now into our games of the week here on the 3 and Out podcast. We'll start off with Mike up in the top left-hand corner. Mike, take us through your game of the week for week eight. So my game of the week is Giants at Seahawks. 
Um, I think this game is going to be a dogfight. Both of these teams are overachieving compared to what we thought of them in the preseason. You have Daniel Jones and Geno Smith. You see them as you know low-tier starters going into the year, and they've been really, really solid for their teams. Um, the Giants' defense has been incredible. Seahawks just overall um, as a unit have been pretty solid um, as well. And, yeah, I mean, I just – We'll just let the game, you know, we'll let the, this game speak for itself. I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, Giants going into it at 6-1 and one and Seattle at 4-3. and three. Ben? Yeah, my game of the week is the Sunday night football game. It is between the Green Bay Packers and the Buffalo Bills. So the Bills are coming off their bye week. They are fully rested, and they are coming to – Play a Packer team that is coming off a 23-21 loss to the Washington Commanders, led by Taylor Heineke. Um, yeah, no joke. Uh, this is how low the Packers have fallen. And they're facing probably the number one team, if not the number two team in the NFL, on the road on Sunday night football. And then you have Aaron Rodgers calling out his teammates publicly this week in the press. Uh, yeah, with Pat McAfee and everything, so... Yeah, I'm really expecting Buffalo to hand the Packers their lunch. And if the Packers are able to stay in this game, maybe the quote-unquote pep talk from Mr. Rogers, maybe that gives the Packers something to work look forward to. But, man, I think this is going to be an absolute destruction of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers on Sunday night. Maybe this is enough of a wake-up call to – get Green Bay back into motion here, but I think Buffalo is going to be coming out firing here with a week off. So it will be an interesting matchup to say the least. And that leaves it to me. I'm taking the Rams and the 49ers in Los Angeles this week. This will be one of the more key divisional matchups in the NFC West for the season. The Rams have been struggling a lot, especially, and they're coming off the bye week. They had a little bit of a reset period for the offense. That's been probably the most hindering portion of this team thus far. They lost a lot of key pieces, and it's been showing. Meanwhile, in San Francisco's part, they had a big loss to Kansas City, looking to rebound and get a lot more impact from Christian McCaffrey in the offense. So I think it's going to be a close battle. It'll be a dogfight between both sides, and you're going to see who really is better between the two this year, L.A. and San Francisco. Um, and I honestly think when it comes down to this division – the division winner could potentially be seen in this game, whoever wins. If the Seahawks play out and they're able to continue the success, it could be Seattle. But I think the division winner lies in this game right here, um, and we can see where that goes from there. But with that, it wraps up our games of the week, and we move into our final session here on the 3 and Out podcast. It's, of course, the stand sessions. Of course, the rules follow. If you are new to joining us, we pick two of our favorite players from the past week and sort of analyze our uh, viewpoints on each player and why we simply just like them for that week, what they did that impressed us on the field. And with that, we'll kick it over to Ben to start us out for this last session. Who was your first stand from week seven? Yeah, for sure. So my first stand is Titan safety, Andrew Adams. Uh, Andrew Adams had the pretty much game of or play of the game here in their matchup against the Colts with a pick six on Matt Ryan that pretty much 
cemented the game pretty early for the Titans, put them up a couple scores on that Titans or on the Colts, excuse me. And Andrew Adams has been a really good support to Kevin Byard and the rest of that secondary, uh, probably his biggest play of the season thus far. And if the Titans defense continues to play that the, the way that we've seen them in recent weeks on a four game winning streak, I think that they are going to be a shoe in to win this division with the Jaguars and Colts uh, going through struggles of their own. And Andrew Adams is a little bit of support in that. So Andrew Adams is my first stand of the week. Mike. I got to show love to my guy, PJ Walker. I mean, I feel like this is just a go-to, but you know, just an XFL quarterback two years ago, and now he took down the, you know, a top five defense in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game was ugly for the Bucs end, but Carolina trading away their best offensive piece and beating the Bucs. I mean, P.J. Walker put up uh, just under 200 yards passing, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, and D.J. Moore had the best game of the year with 69 yards, which is, you know, kind of tough. Uh, you're, DJ, you're the number one receiver in that offense, and just under 70 yards is your, you know, the max. But P.J. Walker, you know, named the starter uh, um, this coming week too, so maybe we will unlock P.J. Moore in this offense and see what Carolina does if they, you know, um, they might not be tanking for Victor Wembanyama anymore. We'll see. We'll see. P.J. Walker, got to show him some love. I'm also yep. showing love to a guy that has been – quite frankly, slandered on since his last two years in the NFL. I'm a Jeff Okuda stan. Oh, man. DB led the NFL in tackles this past week against Dallas. Had one of his best weeks this week against the Cowboys. And ever since his start to 2022, Okuda's definitely been on the rise and putting up some competition for the top cornerback in Detroit with Amani Awarie. I've honestly loved the way he's been pressing coverage and giving a lot of these defensive backs or uh, wide receivers trouble, excuse me. Um, and I think this is a good week that sort of Okuda displayed those showcases and displayed those talents. So I'm a Jeff Okuda stand. With that, we go to Ben for his second stand. Yeah, since we already uh, pounded the drum here with his quarterback earlier in the pod, I feel like this is only appropriate to get up to the receiver as well. Uh, I am a Tyler Boyd stand. I know he's only the third target in this Bengals uh, receiving core, but he had a heck of a game. Uh, started out with a 60-yard touchdown only on the second play of the entire game for the Bengals. Had a really strong game overall, eight catches for 155 yards and a touchdown with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins also putting up solid games. Can just see how much of a threat this Bengals receiving core is probably the best uh, top three receivers of a team uh, in the entire league, probably. Uh, I know that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins get all the love, but got to give some love to Tyler Boyd here. He is a great receiver on his own. He was able to do some stuff even before uh, Higgins and Chase showed up with a red rocket. She's, um, <laughs> but Tyler Boyd able to still put, a, put his uh, stamp on this game and, yeah, Tyler Boyd is my second stand of the week. Mike? Uh, my second stand is Sam Williams, rookie defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. Played 14 defensive snaps, had two sacks, one forced fumble, and the fumble recovery on the same play. He's a beast. I mean, Dallas just knows how to draft the 
um, you know, defensive players with Michael Parsons and uh, Tanglora is going back a few years, Dorrance Armstrong, and now Sam Williams, who will be a nice rotational piece on that defense. Their defense is surprising. I mean, I think they're eighth, ranging around there right now, seven, eight. Um, as long as that defense holds up, I I think they they got a really good shot in the NFC. Uh, so shout out Sam Williams. He'll get a lot more. Um, you know, he'll be hearing his name called a lot more when it comes to defensive snaps. The snap share will go up. Um, shout out him, Ole Miss guy. I wrote a spotlight and a prospect profile on Sam Williams. He is a baller. Ran a 5-2 defense in Ole Miss. That kid knows how to play. Cowboys get a good one. Shout out Sam Williams. Um, and the last guy we have on my end, I'm a Juju Smith-Schuster stan. Back-to-back games for Smith-Schuster with over 100 yards receiving. And with the big target share that Mahomes has had, to split up in the last few weeks. It seems like Smith-Schuster is sort of gaining the um, ground to be his number one receiver, um, despite or excluding Travis Kelsey in this offense. So I think between Smith-Schuster, Valdez Scantling, and McCole Hardman, I think Smith-Schuster has been getting the most love. The past two weeks have shown it, and he's been letting it up in the air raid. So I'm a Juju Smith-Schuster stan. And with that, it wraps things up here in our stand sessions on the three and out podcast and with that as well it wraps up episode 10 of season two here in the three and out podcast formally ending our first double digit episode of the second season if you like what you saw be sure to give us a like and subscribe on our youtube channel at three and out podcast also be sure to follow us on all our podcast platforms spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, wherever you get them but that will sign things off for now for ben pope as he throws up his Casual piece, huh? Those up the dusses. Oh, he's got the dusses. All right, for Ben Dusses Pope and Mike Chiquetti. Ooh, <laughs> my name's Brett Shavs. Take care, brush your hair. <laughs>